Today we look at a case where the courtroom actually becomes the location of murder. Five people dead, including a judge, a sheriff, an attorney, a witness, and a juror, as well as the people firing the weapons end up injured. And this is a case, a very historical case. So thanks for joining me on this episode of Murder Avenue. Well, I guess let's get into it, guys. Let's do this. Welcome to Murder Avenue. going on everybody welcome to murder avenue this is one of your favorite podcasts and i just know it i can feel it i i feel it in the air i can smell it uh it's very much uh, addictive and i thank you guys for participating yay and by that i simply mean clicking that play button clicking that subscribe button all of those things matter so much to the shows and we will continue to do them because of your support now if you were here last week or over the last uh, 10 days or so, you heard an entire episode dedicated to other talents that I have, other skills. And I hope you enjoyed them because, you know, it is hard work uh, doing podcasts as well as music, as well as comedy. There's just so many things that I'm interested in and finding the particular one is a challenge. And I think you can see why. So I hope you guys enjoyed that last episode. We got a bunch of people checking it out. Uh, I, I really wanted to switch it up too and get away from true crime and, and just you know have a little fun, tell you guys some jokes. But anyways, today's episode is no joking matter at all. But it is a place to be judged and we're gonna we're gonna judge. I'll be honest, I actually saw how I found this case. It was very organic. And the fact that it was organic actually makes me a little more excited to do the episode. Because I happen to just be scrolling through Instagram and I follow this uh, this account called uh, True Crime Today. It's something true crime, okay? And as I'm scrolling through, I see this picture of these two guys with, you know, they look like hipsters in a black and white photo. And uh, I see the case and I read the bottom of it, the general disclaimer as to what we're going to be looking for or what it is. And they say that it's uh, these two, a father and son who end up shooting up a courtroom and killing basically the most vital people there. Witnesses, attorneys, judges, sheriffs, like what the fuck? 
This is something that you don't hear of very often. Sometimes you hear of like a father attacking a defendant. But outside of that, you definitely don't hear people bringing weapons in, being able to shoot people. That's so crazy. And that's really where I found the interest of this case. Obviously, because it is very old, uh, seemed interesting as well. Because these are guys that lived on the outside of the law, from what we can just determine by looking at them and reading a little bit about their background. You can just see, hey, if you're a part of a clan, <laughs> and and it doesn't even if you're not playing Xbox and you're a part of a clan, you might be living on the other side of the law. That's just what it is. But today we're focusing mostly on Floyd Allen, as well as his offspring, and this case as a whole. Alright guys, so let's dive into some more details about Floyd Allen here. He was actually born in 1856 in Cana, Virginia, which most of this is going to take place in Virginia, in or around Virginia. He, was, he's, he is the patriarch of the county's most prominent family. In addition to owning large tracts of farmland and a prosperous general store, there were also active local politics. As proud Southern Democrats, both Allen and his brother held legal license for the production of alcohol. So like I said, this was a clan, the Allen clan, and he was the patriarchy. He was the, he was the guy, the mainstay, right? So when Lloyd gets in trouble, they come to him. They say, hey, Floyd, Lloyd's in trouble. I need you to handle it. You know best how to take care of him because it's your family. That's what it seems like. Allen was noted for his generosity, but also his quick temper. That's exactly what we were talking about. He's a person that says, you know what, I'm willing to help you, but you must do for me as well, and you must not disrespect me in the process. He had a history of violent altercations, including shooting a black man in North Carolina, beating a police officer in Mount Ari, and later shooting his own cousin. So, not it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? This whole thing is going to make sense in the end, where you have this main guy who is in charge of what everybody does that has his last name, and if you don't do exactly as he expects, well, you're in for some trouble. In May 1889, the Floyd brothers, Garland and Sidna, uh, they were tried for carrying concealed pistols and assaulting a group of 13 men. But you have to wonder, did they assault these men on their own volition, or was it something that the patriarch of the family required them to do. Seems like he's probably running his <clears throat> his family similar to that of a mob boss, right? That's the way I think about it. Um, Allen also got an indicted for... Uh, Floyd, actually, excuse me. Floyd Allen uh, got indicted for assault as well. But in December of that year, the Commonwealth's attorney dropped the case. Pretty suspicious, right? Makes you think... Well, who else did he have in his pocket? Very mob style, like I said. Uh, in September of 1889, after pleading no contest to the assault, Garland and Sidna were fined $5 each, plus court costs, and the prosecutor dropped the weapons charge. You know, the, the biggest charge out of all of them. Let's get rid of that one. But like I said, this is very much similar to... When you think about the times, back in these times... 
it certainly makes more sense for the government and police departments to be in the pocket of some rich guy. Even if the rich guy didn't really have ill intent, he still had enough money to pay these people that weren't getting proper wages and make them put them on the team. Put them on the team for good or bad. And now because the government's sort of self-sustained, self-sustained, maybe not so much now because of the pandemic, but overall, right? They make their own money. They figure out how to make their own money. They don't have to be bought by some criminal organization or just people with nefarious ideas or plans, I guess you'd say. In a trial that was recalled in 1904, Allen was convicted of assaulting a neighbor. Uh, Floyd had wanted to actually buy a farm from this neighbor. Uh, it was owned by one of his brothers, but he could not agree on a price. Combs wanted the land so badly... He wanted the land so badly he was willing to pay the, the asking price. And he bought it regardless of uh, the warnings from Allen not to, and he didn't want to butt in. But not, not long after this, Allen shot the wounded Combs and was indicted and tried on charges of assault. So he's a psychopath. He was sentenced by uh, the jury in an hour and was uh, charged $100 plus costs. So obviously things were much cheaper back then. You could get off uh, of a criminal case for $5 or $100 if you shoot somebody. Like what the fuck? What? Allen did go on to immediately post bail after this and pending the appeal, which his defense team consisted of some very higher up people, a judge, an ex-judge, um, and at the time of the, this all happening, Allen somehow produces a pardon from the governor, Andrew Montag, which suspended his jail sentence. That's crazy. It just, I mean, that, that should even be more of a sign to these people that are planning to try and get him for something. Because that's really what it is. That's what happens, okay? When it comes to these big-time families who run things, whether that be a judge or a sheriff's office or whatever, if they have you in their pocket, what ultimately happens when they realize you are a very bad guy, they all come after you at once. They figure out a way to take you down. And they basically will do whatever whatever that means. And instead of only you versus one person and then you got all these people backing you, it's you versus everybody that used to back you. It's everybody who has any bad information on you that they can use against you. And they're going to use it against you, especially in these times where you have ultimately abused your power. Because then it gets to a point of it doesn't matter how much money you have. For instance, uh, the story about John DuPont, I believe his name is, who ended up shooting one of the wrestler's brothers, uh, Schultz. And that is definitely an abuse of power. It was a guy who had a whole bunch of money, who thought he was going to do good and ends up doing the worst possible thing. In another instance, while arguing over administrations of their father's estate, Alan got into a gunfight with his own brother, Jasper, who also goes by Jack. He was a local constable. And um, in the fusillade of shots, Alan hit Jack in the head, which struck 
a glancing blow on Jack's scalp, which one of the bullets hit Alan in the chest. His pistol was empty. Alan proceeded to beat Jack with the butt of the empty revolver. So there is no stopping, and it doesn't matter if you're family or not. He was sentenced to a $100 fine and one hour in jail for wounding Jack, nearly killing him, I'd imagine. Uh, Floyd refused to go, though, saying that he wouldn't spend a minute in jail as long as the blood uh, flowed through his veins. So he knows that he does a lot of things that should put him in jail, but he's so stubborn, he doesn't think that he should receive any time for the things that he does. Floyd's body bore the scars of 13 bullet wounds, five of them inflicted in quarrels with his own family. So, seems like a great guy, huh? Seems like a guy that you can count on. He seems like a guy that would get a tattoo of family across his chest in irony. Now, despite, of course, all of the bad things that goes within the Allen family, they were held uh, very considerably, they were held very high amongst other people and because of their reputation for courage. Courage meant a lot more back then, apparently. Uh, In 1908, while serving as special deputies, Allen and relative H.C. Allen, also known as Henry, they were charged with unlawful assault upon prisoners held in their custody who had reportedly resisted arrest. On February 1st of the same year, the Allens were convicted of the charge and sentenced to 10 days in jail and fined $10. Only a month later, their petition for executive clemency was granted by the governor, uh, uh, Claude A. Swanson, and that restored their political rights to hold office. What the fuck? Some of these guys got that Joe Exotic. That Joe Exotic gene. Like, I'm the show. I can be in charge, basically, right? Like, hey man, sit down. I mean, when you, br- you know, you bring it all together and you think about the fact that most families were probably running like this back then, it's, it's not surprising that he bore a lot of scars from fights with relatives. Everybody had a gun. You got a gun when you were old enough, not even old enough, when you were strong enough to hold it and aim it. Once you were able to do that, hell, you're basically a man. So families like this and situations like this occurred way more often, but the final showdown that we're gonna get to at the end of the episode, what we're leading up to, that is more rare. That's a different kind of situation. That's movie-esque, okay? But of course these guys couldn't stay out of the limelight, and by limelight I simply mean the court system. So even with all of their trials and, I don't know, negativity I guess you'd say coming from people around them, the people in the right places kept putting them back in society and letting them live and do as they please. But in 1910, one of the other brothers, Sidna Allen, was tried by the United States Court at Greensboro, North Carolina, for making $20 counterfeit coins. Holy shit. <laughs> uh, that's, it's not because he's making counterfeit coins, it's the fact that he's making $20 coins. What? Why is that weird? Because I didn't even know that was a thing. We used to be able to have a $20 coin. I mean, that's phenomenal. You know how long you could play at the arcade with a coin? You know how less likely you'd lose as much money if 
it, if $20 was a part of your change pocket, taking somebody's wallet is one thing. You could get ones, five, tens, and twenties, but who's, who's robbing somebody for their change pocket? And there's $500 in there, and it's all $20 coins. That's crazy. Uh, the federal court in Greensboro, though, found him not guilty, while Sidna's alleged accomplice was actually found guilty and sentenced to seven, uh, excuse me, five years in federal prison. So how crazy is this? He's caught doing it with somebody else. He does not get in trouble, but his fucking partner does. Hmm. What does that mean? And this is in North Carolina. This isn't Virginia. Sidna was actually found guilty of perjury, though, within this trial because of his testimony and was sentenced to two years imprisonment. But he promptly appealed and gained a new trial on the perjury charge. And the next year, after the Allens complained that they could not expect justice from William Foster, who was the Republican Commonwealth attorney of the county, he had recently switched parties, and I guess that's a no-no. Um, Judge Massey had appointed both Floyd and H.C. to post to, po uh, to the post of police officer for the New River section of the county. So what the fuck? Yeah, I, I, there's so much dirty things going on here. Certainly dirty things. But times were changing and Virginia's judicial structure was altered in a series of legal reforms, particularly the county court system, which was replaced by circuit courts, the new system appointed a full-time judge to hold court at scheduled intervals in a circuit of uh, several counties. While the state legislature still appointed circuit judges, the new system uh, reduced the ability of individual delegates to ensure that their preferred judge was selected. So basically that means instead of you going to a judge that you wanted, that you could pay to have be there, it was just, hey, this is who's here right now. This is what time you're scheduled. You will be seeing this judge, and that's what it is. And I'm sure something like this, or very similar to this, is still very much a part of the system there. I can only imagine. But that is a, that is a, a little bit about the Allens and Floyd. But guys, <laughs> we're just dipping our toes in right now. It is about to get way more bizarre. Because we've already talked about the Allens. Okay, but there is another particular case that kind of falls in the middle of this that might shed some more light on Floyd Allen himself, being the patriarchy of this family. Because they have some offspring, and they go by the last name of Edwards. So you got the Allens and the Edwards, and this particular situation here involves Floyd's two nephews and they get into some shit and basically big papa comes out and saves the day on the night of december 10th 1911 two of alan's nephews wesley and sidna so there's sidna again very old timey name i think don't know any sidnas they were uh, attending a corn shucking bee in hillsville while there wesley kissed a girl who romantic romantically linked who was romantically linked to a local youth will thomas and that led to an altercation between the two men and 
Thomas reportedly called Wesley into a fight. According to Wesley, Thomas and three friends assaulted him and he defended himself with the help of his brother. Wesley and Sidna were charged with disorderly conduct, assault with a deadly weapon, disturbing a public worship service because this was at a church, and more violations. The deputy clerk of Carroll County, Dexter Goad, obtained a new warrant for the brother's arrest and notified the sheriff in North Carolina, who eventually arrested both men. Sheriff Haynes and Dep uh, Deputy Oscar Monday had arrested the brothers at work. There was only one set of handcuffs, but because Sidna had tried to escape a couple of times, Wesley was handcuffed in the front seat of the buggy, and Sidna was tied in the back seat. On the way to the courthouse, the buggy passed by several properties owned by the Allens. So you know those guys are just driving down that street, feeling pressure. Like, this is fucking Death Valley. Uh, Floyd Allen met the buggy south of Sidna Allen's home as he was on his way uh, to his house. Deputy Samuel pulled a gun, later determined to be inoperative, so it was a gun that didn't work, you know, a squirt gun. He ordered Floyd to move away, and Floyd rode back past him on the buggy uh, to, all the way to Sidna's store, where he then blocked the narrow road with his mare. Samuel again pulled his gun on Floyd. A fight ensued, and Floyd beat Samuel with his own pistol. So what the fuck? The worst way to go. Like, I pulled a gun on him thinking, hey, that's a deterrent. He's not going to do anything. Turns out the gun doesn't work. And then he beats me with my own gun. Now, Wesley, one of the uh, one of the nephews who was arrested, he tried to grapple with Easter, but got away and fired a shot as f at Floyd as he did so, uh, wounding Floyd in the finger. Floyd then released the Edwards brothers. Easter ran away where he finally reached a house to uh, telephone the sheriff in, at Hillsville. The deputy was left lying unconscious in the ditch. His horse had ran off. Floyd Allen later stated that he never intended to have the boys set completely free. He just didn't want them in handcuffs or strapped down like animals. You find out information that the boys actually might have been tied to the back of the buggy and were being dragged. But the following Monday... Uh, Wesley and Sidna were turned over to the court by Floyd himself. He turned them in. The two Edwards brothers were soon tried and convicted of their crimes. One was 60 days in jail, and the other was 30. Oh, oh, wait, did I say jail? Wrong. They got work release for two months and one month. So not even that much time for all of this shit where officers were nearly killed. The reason this is even vital to this story is because it's showing you the kind of character that Floyd is. He's the type of guy that thinks, well, justice is good and should be served so long as it's not justice against me. And we're going to continue to find out more about this justice. I mean, turning in your nephews after, like, helping them escape, it's such a weird weird situation so of course these guys this this family being politically inspired and wanting to be a part of the political agenda or you know conceive their own they of course developed enemies and of course the way they're acting develops enemies but when you have an enemy who's a part of the government they have a lot more power and ability to stop you so this fellow by the name of William Foster he was the Commonwealth attorney he had served uh, in an election against one of the Allens and he ended up becoming a political enemy 
and when he finally does get the job, he decides to go after the Allens, particularly based on the incident with the, his nephews and helping them escape. And oddly enough, Floyd Allen decides to testify where he says some things basically like, you know, I didn't intend for Samuel to get roughed up as bad as he did. And I, was, I just didn't want to see the boys tied up. So due to the fact that he was going to be indicted because of this, somehow somebody went and talked to this deputy Samuel so he doesn't testify. Now, of course, Floyd says that he didn't do anything and he didn't have any intentions to do anything. Well, that deputy never came. In fact, he left the state. So whoever went and did the talking, you know, got, got to him. But the rumor that the Allens were intimidating witnesses was called to the attention of the court. Judge Massey called Constable Jack Allen and Floyd Allen, whom he had also deputized six months earlier, uh, to the bar and proceeded to question them about the alleged intimidation. Jack Allen denied all responsibility for the allegations. He stated they were not true and insisted uh, him nor Floyd were guilty of any wrongdoing. In response, the judge told the two men that if the law could, be, could not be enforced in Carroll County by the county officers, that he would get rid of the officers, officers and bring in state troopers if necessary. A witness later testified that Floyd Allen had remarked that he would not let any man talk to him that way. So, woo, things are getting touchy within the court system, right? I mean, Floyd's the type of guy who's like, hey, I can do the pushing around, but if you push me around, oh, well, guess what? I'm coming knocking on the door. So after a year of delays, Floyd was finally brought to trial March 13th, 1912, and Judge Massey, who had deputized Floyd uh, a few months prior, was the judge in this incident. Uh, Samuel's departure forced Commonwealth Attorney William M. Foster to rely on Easter's testimony only. Deputy Samuel didn't come. Now, fearful of the Allens' reactions and having received death threats, many of the officials in the courtroom were armed. They were armed. The family was armed. The judge, everybody in there seemed to have a weapon. And the judge himself even said he was fearful of something going down. He does eventually send uh, sentence uh, Floyd to a year in prison where Floyd says to him, if you sentence me on that verdict, I will kill you. And Judge Massey continued. He fucking sentenced him to the one year. According to Floyd Allen's defense attorney, David Winton Bolin, Floyd hesitated a moment and then he arose. He looked to me like a man who was about to say something and had hardly made up his mind what he was going to say, but as he got straight, he moved off to my left, I would say five or six feet, and he seemed to gain his speech, and he said something like this, I just tell you, I ain't a-going. At this point, shots broke out in the courtroom, and there's many accounts as to who started firing shots first. Some people say that it was the sheriff, some people say that it was Floyd himself. Either way, it starts to die down when a lot of the family, the Allen family, is running out of the courthouse with pistols and 12-gauge shotguns, shooting them as they ran. 
Judge Massey, Sheriff Webb, the attorney William Foster, and jury foreman uh, Augustus Fowler were all hit and died of the wounds that they sustained in the crossfire. Pretty crazy name, Augustus Fowler. Um, Elizabeth Ayers was also there. She was a 19-year-old who was subpoenaed uh, to testify against Floyd Allen. She was shot in the back while trying to leave the courtroom and happened to die at home the next day. Seven others were wounded, including Deputy Clerk Goad and Floyd Allen. Floyd was wounded so badly in the hip, thigh, and knee, he had to leave. He couldn't leave town, so instead spent the night in the Elliott Hotel accompanied by his eldest son, Victor, who was later acquitted of involvement in the shootout. Upon his arrest by deputies at the hotel, Floyd attempted to slash his own throat with a pocket knife. He was overpowered before he could complete the job. It's like, dude, at that point, who's stopping him? Who's stopping him? I mean, what? The guy decided to try and cut his own throat. After all this stuff goes on, he's like, oh, let's use this tiny knife. He's like, what the fuck? Anything but going to jail? Had he heard crazy stories or something? What's the fear? You're doing these bad things. You know you're doing these bad things. And your options are do more bad things to avoid it or die in the process. That sounds like you're afraid. Now, what makes this even crazier is the lawyer who noticed something was about to happen he ends up on the ground underneath Floyd Allen because he falls on him at some point and he tells Floyd hey man they're gonna kill me by trying to kill you so if you could you know pop off for a second and uh, get back to the whole situation that you started or definitely wanted to have it's your fault I mean can we be honest it's your fault so so there does obviously end up being a manhunt. They gotta find these guys. They're wondering what the hell happened because why have a shootout if not a plan to escape? So they do take off and several of them they get, get caught as well as just giving themselves up. Uh, Governor Mann immediately called the Baldwin Feltz Detective Agency to go after these guys because the sheriff was killed, so the police officer surrounding him and working for him didn't really know what to do. Uh, within a month, all suspected shooters were in custody except Sidna Allen and Wesley Edwards. During the initial manhunt, several posses of detectives and local deputies searched the surrounding countryside. Friel Allen gave himself up to detectives in the company of his father, Jack. Claude Allen and Sidna Edwards were soon arrested after a brief search. Uh, Deputy Agent Faddis reported of illegal liquor trafficking by the Allens. Faddis and four men raided uh, Floyd Allen's property, seizing illegal stills and 50 gallons of moonshine. Two more illegal stills were found at Sidna Edwards' house, so they were also making booze. However, Sidna Allen and his nephew Wesley Edwards fled, uh, fled to Virginia. Now, after several months, they were finally captured, and they were captured in Iowa after an informant gave them a tip. And, of course, Sidna was under the assumption that the person who was giving away the tip was Wesley's fiance, Maud Eyroller. And keep in mind, guys, the, the money that you're getting paid for this back then was way... It's certainly worth a lot more today, but back then you were only getting $500 for a tip like this. They also possibly said that Miss Eye Roller's father, who, had, who didn't approve of the daughter's romance with Wesley Edwards, tipped off the detectives 
because Maude was going to Des Moines, Iowa to marry Wesley. Now, the Baldwin-Feltz detectives traveled to Des Moines, arrested the suspects, and returned to Carroll County for them to stand trial. Now, Floyd Allen was tried for the first-degree murder of the attorney Foster. Uh, on May 18, 1912, the jury found Floyd Allen guilty. His stoic exterior was gone. Floyd Allen wept freely as the verdict was read. Because now he knew he, it was over. It was fucking over. And uh, for their roles in the shooting, Floyd and Claude Allen were sentenced to death by electrocution. And this is simply for the shooting that took the lives of the sheriff, the judge. This doesn't include anything else that he did. And they're getting put to death by elect electrocution. Allen's death sentence was deeply unpopular with Allen's supporters in the county. But also, who cares about that? He's a bad guy. Surprised by the deaths of so many people over Floyd Allen's refusal to serve a year in prison. Knowing that he, sh he sh at that point, he, he, he certainly should have had a lot more time than one year. Uh, Governor Mann refused to request a commute of the death sentences to life imprisonment, and Floyd Allen was electrocuted on March 28, uh, 1913 at 120. Eleven minutes later, his son Claude followed. And what makes that even stranger? It was only one year and 14 days after the incident took place. So they were definitely not playing around with the death row or death sentencing back then. If you're sentenced to death, you're going to fry very quickly. Uh, Sidna Allen pleaded guilty and received 35 years in prison for manslaughter. He also pleaded guilty to second-degree murder for shooting of the sheriff and sentenced to 18 years. Wesley Edwards drew nine years of the count for the same, same things. Uh, Sidna Edwards pleaded guilty on August 1912 to second-degree murder and was sentenced to 15 years. Uh, Friel Allen was tried in August of 1912 after confessing to shooting prosecutor Foster and was sentenced to 18 years in prison. So that shooting, some of these people were definitely targeted. Uh, the Democratic governor, Elbert Lee Trinkle, what a name, he pardoned Friel Allen and Sidna Edwards in 1922. And then... Uh, Governor Harry Flood Byrd in 1926 pardoned Sidna Allen and Wesley Edwards. So some of these names are kind of mixed together, but uh, Victor Allen and Barnett Allen were acquitted. Burden, the, the cousin and neighbor, had all the charges dropped against him. Accounts differ to whether this was a lack of evidence or because state's witness admitted the role in aiding the Allens. The Carroll County prosecutors went, to, went on to place liens on all the property owned by Floyd and Sidna Allen. Uh, after three wrongful death suits by the victims, estates, and survivors, that property was confiscated and sold at auction. Uh, Floyd Allen's son, Victor, bought his father's house so that his mother would not have to move, which is a good thing. Uh, but in 1921, however, he moved his family to, Tabernacle, to the Tabernacle Township in New Jersey. Perfect. Where the mafia begins, folks. Well, it is pretty close to New York when you think about it, and the way that the, this was ran very much like a, a mob-style family, and they go to New Jersey. Uh, who knows? And this early, 1916, a few years later, the mafia begins. I don't know. Is there a connection? Floyd Allen's brother, Jasper, lost his job as constable as a result of the shooting, and soon his life. Uh, Jack Allen had stopped for the night at a roadhouse near Mount Airy, uh, North Carolina, 
where he encountered Will McGraw. Uh, he was a moonshine hauler. The a dispute arose between the men about the shooting, and during the confrontation, McGraw drew a gun and shot Allen twice, killing him on the spot. Jack Allen was buried near his home in Carroll County in the presence of a thousand mourners. So that's crazy, you guys, just thinking that this guy just really didn't want to go to prison, even though he certainly should have been there a long time ago, results in many people dying, and even people outside of the actual shooting simply being associated with the name Allen or Edwards. Very entertaining story. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Okay, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to Murder Avenue. You know how much I love this audience. I love this show. It's such a fun time. And, you know, during these times of quarantine and lockdown, you need some entertainment. You do. So if you like the Murder Avenue podcast, you like what we do here, come check out The Daily Ghost. It is a show where I read a horror story. I put some music to it. It's very entertaining. You will enjoy it if you like Murder Avenue. Same thing with Dead Town. Dead Town is a newest, the newest podcast I've started where I simply go through and I just talk about crazy paranormal things. Anything from the Mothman to the conspiracy of JFK. There, it's Anything strange and obscure is involved in that show and there will be a new episode coming out very soon. So if you have not checked it out yet, please go check that show out. Check out The Daily Ghost. Check them all out. You will be entertained. And be vigilant out there, guys. Be cautious. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Do your best to stay out of public. That's the best. Uh, that's the only thing that is going to help this thing die down. And as far as everybody is saying, it, this isn't over. This isn't going to be the last time. So why not be vigilant and cautious now instead of waiting until it's too late? And You know what I'm saying? It, it makes more sense. Let's be, let's be smart. But as always, I am Patrick Michael. This has been... Murder Avenue, thank you once again for tuning in. Contact us on Twitter at 187MurderAVE. Uh, email the show, murderpod at gmail.com. And help support us as well, if you do have the means to an end, at patreon.com slash podculture. All the links for these things are in the episode description always. So, uh, you know, check it out there, guys. I appreciate you so much. But until next time.